All right. Well, today we are going to end our journey. Not really, but uh, we're going to end our series on the journey that we've been doing uh, for a couple of months now as we've gone through a different series of booklets um, for the past few months talking about what it is to be a disciple of Christ, how to follow Him, what is church all about, how do we grow, um, our identity in Christ, what's the kingdom of God all about. And so we've looked at the relationships that exist in the kingdom of God. Um, at Restoration Church, we use the table to define relationships, and so there is our relationship with God the Father, um, God the Son, God the Spirit. Our relationship with God uh, is known as the table of intimacy. That's how we refer to it. We sit at this table all the time. We as believers never want to leave it. Um, maybe we're more aware that we're sitting there when we're reading the Bible or when we're doing our devotions, but you and I should never leave the table of intimacy. Um, we should sit at the table of, the, of intimacy that he's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. Um, and so that's an important table for us. We also sit at the table of fellowship, the table of brotherhood, uh, table of communion, whatever term we've used over the, the last couple of weeks to refer to it. Um, those terms are interchangeable, but that's the body of Christ. We feel like God has called us here to Restoration Church. Uh, I know that, yeah, we're all a part of the great big body of Christ, but there's something about being a part of a localized body of believers that causes us to deal with our warts. I don't know if you've ever known that before, but um, it's so easy to serve God when you're just a part of the body of Christ, but you're not really in close relationship with people that maybe you don't see eye to eye with. I mean, it's easy for us to gather around ourselves, people that are just like us, that think just like us, that believe just like us, that say all the same things. But uh, the relationship we have with God is really fleshed out when we're with other believers that maybe don't see things the way we do. And maybe sometimes it feels like we're butting heads with them and we actually have to work on that relationship. And guess what? It's not all their fault. <laughs> There's some flaws in my life that God wants to work out too. Um, but it's so easy for us in the body of Christ to get others focused in a negative way where they're always the problem. I'm pretty good. No, we're all the problem and God uses other people to help work that out in our lives. And so that's why we're a part of a local body of believers, but we also believe that we're a part of the greater body of believers. And so we work with other churches in our community. Uh, we bless other churches in our community. We're a part of what God is doing, not just in Restoration Church, but everywhere. Then we also sit at the table of connection. Um, this is with people that are not yet in the kingdom of God, and we want to connect with them in a way that helps bring them into relationship with God and ultimately help them to flourish and grow in their lives. And so that's kind of what we've talked about. And we come to part 14. If you've got your booklet today, um, I'm just going to highlight the points really quick, and then we're going to do something um, maybe a little bit different from that. But part 14 is called, What Should I Do?, with what I've learned, and so I've titled the message, What Now? What do I do with all of this information that we have gained over these last couple of months? What do I do? And part 14 tells us that the disciples still had doubts. Like, I, you didn't, I hope you didn't come to the end of this like, series and you've like, had all your questions answered. Because if you have all your questions answered, I didn't do my job well. I hope you have more questions now than when we started this series. Because questions are how we grow. It's what stretches us. That uncomfortable feeling that we get when we just don't have a, a pat answer that we can give people about, well, why is this happening? Or what does this mean? Or how does this flush out in our lives? We're to lean into God in those times when we don't understand something or when we're confused. In fact, we learned last week about lament that sometimes it's okay to just cry out to God and feel like He's not even present and He doesn't even care. And when you cry out to Him, him, not about him, God finds a way to show up in that moment in a way that you just don't get to experience any other way. So you don't have to hide behind the emotions, you, you lean into them, you draw near to him. Um, the, the idea of the disciples were commanded to go, as we've talked about this, um, that command is not necessarily, the command isn't to go, the command is to make disciples. Um, as you go, make disciples. Meaning, everywhere you are right now in your life is not an accident. God has put you there. So if you're in a job, God has put you there. If He hasn't put you there, get out of there and get where He's put you. 
And if He's put you there, stop complaining about it and actually find out why He's put you there. Maybe it's to grow about whatever it is you're complaining about. Or maybe it's just so that you can grow in, in helping others to see the kingdom. But as you go to work, make disciples. As you go in your family, well, my spouse isn't a believer. Pastor Tom, how can I make disciples? <laughs> Very easily, actually. You just, you actually pretend that they're a believer and you just do something that helps bring them closer to him. You just bring them closer. I know that we think that we should just point out everybody's flaws all the time, but the Bible's pretty clear that you don't do that to children or you exasperate them. You don't do that to your spouse or sometimes that can even hinder your prayers, men. And wives, the Bible says if you do that, you're like a, a dripping faucet. You don't have to point out people's flaws all the times. You have to actually praise is a better motivator than criticism, for one. Well, there's nothing to praise them about. Well, then you don't have the Lord's perspective. And you're focusing all on the negative and not what God wants to maybe highlight in their lives. Whether it's your kids, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your boss, it's all the same. We want to have his perspective so that as we go, we make disciples. We recognize that we need to be made as a disciple just as much as anyone around us. And so together, we build the kingdom. And then the last part is to observe all that Jesus commanded. <laughs> That's an easy one, right? Uh, we'll be spending the rest of our lives doing this. Observing all that he commanded. And so... This morning, it's, it's kind of funny, um, as Thaddeus was starting the service about the bricks and building and worship and obedience and the, the quote, I don't remember the quote fully, but um, how life is like just strung together our obedience, um, I kind of chuckled because what happened as I was preparing for this week, this is actually a sermon I plan to preach next Sunday. Um, as we started this series, um, I'm going to speak in chapel at James Valley this Friday. And when I was on the schedule, there was something that was in my heart that I wanted to share there. Um, but then I was like, you know, that's something I think we all need to hear. So I, I planned to plug it in at the end of our journey series next Sunday. But then as we got closer to this week, I felt like the Lord was saying, no, I want it this week. But then I thought, you know, it's just I'm so busy right now that I'm probably, because that sermon was already ready, and this one wasn't. And so I was like, Lord, am I just like trying to like get out of work? <laughs> because it's so busy right now. And I mean, I had state cross country this week, and I had like some finals in my classes. And I'm just like, is this just an easy way out? Like I, I'm going to take the sermon that's already ready and bump it up a week. This is what my brain does. Um, and so I went with it. And uh, I felt like what Thaddeus said was very good confirmation because today we're going to talk about um, a part of what we call Royal Family Kids Camp's core values. So if you've been a part of Royal Family Kids or you've been here on those Sundays, we talk about it. Three core values. Treat people royally, keep moving forward, and make moments matter. Treat people royally, I think, is the, the most important thing in the, the Christian walk. Because if you claim to love God, but you mistreat human beings, you don't know what it is to love God. I mean, Jesus said that. You, can't, you cannot separate loving your neighbor or loving your enemy from loving God. So when you come to know him, you understand that while we were his enemies, he died for us. He ultimately destroyed the, gr the greatest love ever when he, as we were his enemies, he died for us. Okay, so treating people royally is huge. Keep moving forward means I'm going to screw up a lot. That's what it means. Um, and so I have to just keep getting back up and move forward. Like I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to do it wrong. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have to humble myself and apologize. Uh, and I just want to keep moving forward. So we, we cut each other slack. We cut others in the body of Christ slack. And we just let people make mistakes, fail. And hey, just keep moving forward. That's all it's about. Um, those mistakes shouldn't define us. Our identity should be rooted in who Christ made us, not what we've accidentally done or purposely done. Um, and so we move forward. But I really want to focus on the third of these, which is make moments matter. Make moments matter. Because here's what I believe. Everything we do matters. Everything we do matters. When a few years ago... Um, I got to know Bob Glanzer. Bob Glanzer was a state representative. Um, his son, Tom, and uh, his wife, Stephanie, I already knew them, was very good friends with them. 
their son, Bob's grandson, Maxim, ran cross-country for me. So I knew Bob. Uh, we had a, a good relationship. I mean, we talked. Uh, he seemed like a very nice guy. But then we, we started a, a prayer time at James Valley during a building program. Um, I was actually the one that instituted it, and it was a 40 days of prayer, um, not only for the building program, but for the school. And so we met the first 40 school days for the first 40 minutes of every school day in the conference room there for prayer. Uh, and we were doing the Draw the Circle devotional. We read the devotional together. We didn't talk about the devotion. We read it, and then we prayed. It wasn't about, it was just something to get our, our thoughts focused on the Lord. Um, you didn't have to agree with everything in it, but we weren't going to sit there and hash it out. It wasn't about theology, it was about prayer. So we would pray. And there was a core group of people that ended up showing up for that, probably seven or eight people that would, would show up regularly. Every once in a while we would have someone new join us. But that 40 days after it was over, we decided to do it again. And so it turned into 80 days. And then we decided Bob was actually going to go, um, Bob was a regular attender, he was going to go for the state legislative session, which that year actually turned out to be 40 days, ironically. Um, sometimes they're 38 days, sometimes 39, but this year was 40. And so we're like, hey, Bob, we're going to pray with you. For the, we're going to add the state legislative session to this, and we're going to do 40 more days. Well, and once we got through three marking periods, it was like there's 40 days left in the school year. So you guessed it. We did 160 days. Now, there were times that I was in that room alone and I prayed for 40 minutes. But there were a lot of times that Bob and I were the only two in that room. When I was in Bible college, they tell you that the most intimate thing you can ever do with anyone is pray. We, this was in 2019-2020. So the next school year, um, Bob passed away in April, April the 3rd of 2020. Um, he developed COVID, had some complications with his heart and breathing, uh, and he passed away. And when he passed away, for someone I really didn't know very well, I didn't understand why his death impacted me the way that it did. Um, but when you pray with someone, you really get to know their heart. And I wish I had had more time. I wish there were more Bob Glanzers in the world. I really do. Um, his heart for kids, especially teens in trouble, um, his work with our home in town, just fantastic. Um, man, you could hear someone's heart when they pray. Uh, that's the intimacy. And so he passed away on April the 3rd, and a few days later, this Prairie Tracks article came out. Bob wrote the article on the back page of the Prairie Tracks for a number of years, and uh, this was the last article that he ever wrote before his death that was published after his death. Um, and I have clung to this thing, and I have used it. National Honor Society, we use it every year. Um, I use it in cross-country. I use it everywhere. Um, and I want to take time to actually read it today um, because it's such a great challenge. Um, it's based on a book by Andy Andrews. i got to pull it up on my screen. We're going to put it up on the screen. I know the words are really, really tiny. Um, so if you can't see it, I apologize for that. But I'm going to read it to you. So if you want to follow along, these are the last words published by Bob Glanzer. And it says this, As we were leaving the Capitol on the last day of the legislative session before veto day, Leader Qualm laid a book on our desk entitled The Butterfly Effect. This inspiring short book, you can read it in about 15 minutes by Andy Andrews, retells in a very convincing way an interesting concept that was thought to be fiction but later proven to be authentic, accurate, and viable. In 1963, Edward Lorenz spoke before the New York Academy of Science and presented a theory that a butterfly could flap its wings and set molecules of air in motion which would move other molecules of air eventually capable of starting a hurricane on the other side of the planet. Really? This theory became the subject of science fiction and decades of myths. Amazing when 30 years later, physics professors worldwide came to the conclusion that Lorenz's theory was indeed viable and was accorded the status of a law now known as the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. Interesting. Of all the battles and skirmishes that the United States has been involved, the Civil War is probably the most reflective of Lorenz's theory. 
Andrews recounts an event that happened during a battle that took place near a little town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. On July 2nd, 1863, a 34-year-old school teacher named Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was in the fight of his life. Colonel Vincent placed Chamberlain and his men of the 20th Maine at the far left edge of a group of 80,000 men and ordered, whatever you do, you can't let them come through here. The Union Army had the high ground on Cemetery Ridge and several other locations. If the Confederate Army overran them, the rebels would gain the high ground and the Union Army would be defeated. To win, the Confederates would have to break through Chamberlain and his unit. The men of the 20th Maine had built a stone wall earlier that day and were positioned behind that high barrier, that thigh-high barrier. Later that day, a unit that started with over 1,000 men, now reduced to 300, stopped the initial charge and pushed them back down the hill. Five more times, the Confederates rushed the Union's position, and each time they were pushed back. By, the time of the, by that time of the day, the forces were without ammunition. They retrieved some from the wounded and the dead. And on the last charge, the 20th men, led by a man who had little military training, had to make a choice. We can't stay here. We can't retreat. He once said he would never die with a bullet in his back. So he looked at his men and he said, Fix bayonets now. If you don't know, the bayonets were the knives they put on the end of their muskets so that they could fight hand to hand. He then gave the order to charge. The remaining 80 fighting men began to shout, slid over the wall and into history. The Confederate troops witnessed this confusion and immediately stopped. The rebels were sure that the men had been reinforced and turned and ran while throwing down their loaded weapons. Later, the Union Army was victorious. Historians ensure us the fact that if the 20th Maine had not charged that day, the rebels would have won at Gettysburg and the South would have won the war. Historians further assume that if the South had won the war, today the United States of America would exist as two countries. They further insist that we would now be living on a territorially fragmented continent much like Europe. Andrews surmises that when Hitler swept across Europe in the 1940s, there would not have been the presence of a United States of America to stand in the gap. When Japan invaded the islands of the South Pacific, there would not have been a country big, strong, wealthy, or populous enough to fight and win two wars on two fronts at the same time. Would we be bold enough to say the United States of America exists as it does today because of a single man? Andrews' conclusion, don't you see? Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain is a human example of the butterfly effect. Chamberlain ordered his men to make an unorthodox military move whose effects still ripple through our lives today. Andrews is a valued speaker and a sought-after corporate motivator, and he tells other stimulating stories throughout his book. His main encouragement is that we, too, are like a butterfly flapping its wings. Listen, everything you do matters. Every move you make, every action you take matters. Not just to you or your family or your business or your hometown. Everything you do matters to all of us forever. Fix bayonets. Now I don't want you to fix bayonets today and go out and charge people and slice them up. But what I want you to understand is everything you do matters. And it matters to us as individuals. Because our character as human beings is shaped by what we do every single day. Our character is not forged in big moments like Joshua Lawrence had. In fact, I believe the reason Joshua Lawrence made the decision that he made on that day is because of the character he developed and the decisions that he made probably as a school teacher every single day. You will not make the right decision in the large moments of your life if you're not learning to make those decisions every single day of your life. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking with some Pharisees and some teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. 
Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Jesus is getting to it now. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen to this. Because it's easy to come here and praise him as the one that stands above all and go out here and start mistreating people. And if we do, we're honoring him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. That's what Jesus is about to declare. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth. That is what defiles them. Ooh, Jesus. He's getting meddling now. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, I, I mean, I believe they were, I'm, I'm sure. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. I love Jesus. He's like, are you still so dull? I mean, guys, really? Don't you see, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. These defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile you. See, all of us like to think we have good hearts, that we have good intentions, but the Scripture reminds us the, what's good about us is Christ makes us good. Okay, it's not... I, we have the propensity to be very self-deceptive, to think that we are better than we are, to think that we're the good guys and those are the bad guys over there. But ultimately, it's Christ that makes the difference in us. And so it's easy for us when things come out of our mouth that we're like, well, that, that's not really who I am. You're disagreeing with what Jesus just said here. Okay, now, I, be careful. I want to keep this in perspective. I don't want to overwhelm you with this idea that you're just this wretched, rotten person in no hope of change. But what we have to recognize is things that come out of our mouth come from our hearts. It's not because someone put pressure on us. It's not because someone treated us inappropriately and that caused us to act a certain way. No, that inappropriate treatment is, is still inappropriate treatment on that person's behalf, but the way we responded to it, if it's inappropriate, is on us. It's what's in our hearts. And we love to like rationalize and excuse and blame and deflect and, well, that's not really who I am. And when we do that, what happens is that character trait that's in our heart begins to put down deep roots. However, if we choose to acknowledge, man, that's in my heart, and I don't want it to be in my heart. Lord, I need you to take that out of my heart. When we start to humble ourselves, when we start to repent, when we confess our sins, then it no longer takes root in our heart, but he begins to lift it out of our hearts. And so I'm not defined by it. That's not who I am, because who I am is a follower of Christ. I'm a son of God, but I can't deny that it's in my heart. Because the moment I deny that it's someone else that made me do it, not, oh, and it's the devil. The devil made me do it. No, the devil provides opportunities, but he doesn't make us, or nor can he make us do anything. He can only do, and what we've revealed is in our hearts. I don't think the devil can see our hearts. I don't think he can read our minds. But he's fully aware of our words and our actions. And he can use those to tempt us. So when we fail, the question is, will we let the Lord lift it out? Or will we let it take root? There's an interesting story that comes right after this. And we have to ask the question, did this really happen right after this? Or did Matthew put it there to help us see something? I don't know if we can answer that fully. But leaving that place, verse 21, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is a Gentile area. A Canaanite woman, also a Gentile, comes from that vicinity, crying out, Lord, 
I love this. She calls him the son of David. Okay, that's a Messianic Jewish term. And this Canaanite woman probably understands what's happening better than most of the Jews that are with Jesus. Okay, so she's caught a grasp of something here. And she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Can I tell you, there are times it doesn't feel like he's present, and I promise you, he's there. And if you stop after the first cry, you might miss him. And I love it. She doesn't. His disciples come and urge him, send her away. <laughs> love church people, don't you? Pastor, that person, send them away. Those are the very people that actually need to be here. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Basically saying, you're a Gentile, I'm here for the, the Jews. Ouch! Ouch! The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. And if it wasn't enough, Jesus says, now some scholars try to make this next statement as soft and nice as they can. Um, well, do whatever you want to it. But Jesus replies, it is not right to take the children's bread, Jews, and toss it to the dogs. It was common for the Jews to refer to Gentiles as dogs. It's not right. Man, how many of us would be offended at that and go on our way? But this woman just, I love it. Verse 27, yes, it is, Lord, she said. She doesn't even say that, like, why would you call us dogs? She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't defend her people. She doesn't do any of that. She's like, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Whoo! I wish I could have been there to see the glimmer in Jesus' eye in this moment. Okay? He looks at her and he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that moment. Can I tell you, there's got to be, if your child is sick and in the throes of something that's just uncurable and it's been a long season, do you, ever, do you know what that feels like? Some of you do. Okay? That's wearing. And I cannot imagine the emotional turmoil, pain. In a, I mean, we have scientific answers and medicines and some things that can help us. She had nothing. Nothing. Imagine the hopelessness to come and not get any response at all. Then to get a, a kind of slight offhand response. Then to get a full-fledged offhand response. And yet to just keep saying no. No. Can you see what's in her heart? Great faith. Jesus gave her every reason to say, yeah, fine. Who do you think you are? Well, she knew who he was, the son of David. I love this story. Because I promise you that you may have experienced something similar, but most of us never get to this level. But some things that happen in our lives reveal our hearts. And Matthew's like, this Gentile woman, man, we would have looked at her and thought, Man, her heart is wicked. She's a Gentile. But her heart was so pure of good faith. Was she perfect? No. Was she sinless? No. But there was something happening on the inside of this Gentile woman that leaped out of her. In Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow bad character, bad decisions, bad choices, laziness, day after day after day, that's what you'll reap. That's what you'll reap. You can't expect to have like healthy relationships that you don't sow into. It's just not possible. Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to the please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap destruction. So let us not become weary in doing good. So if, if, Peter, if Paul has to stop and say that, that means that we probably are going to be tempted to stop doing good and get weary. Well, why do good anyway? It doesn't matter. Why do good anyway? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Why do good anyway? It doesn't change anything. That's the sound of weary getting, doing good. 
No, I keep doing good because it doesn't matter. It can't help but work. I believe one day, if I keep sowing good seed, I will reap a good harvest. Period. It, ha- it can't not happen. It's a law. And it's not a law of physics that some men have put together. It's a law of God. You reap what you sow. Period. So I will not stoop to the level of those that are doing evil. I will continue to do good in the face of evil. In the book of Daniel, we get a picture of Daniel like being like able to survive the lion's den and able to interpret all these dreams. And Daniel has all of these major victories and he's able to influence kings and, and all. How does he do that? Wow, I wish I could be like Daniel. You want to be like Daniel? Pray every day, three times a day. Be a student of the Word so much that you, you, you study it so much that when you realize there's a prophecy, then you start fasting and praying so that prophecy comes to pass. Like, Daniel was a guy that read the, the Scripture over and over and over again. Oh, Pastor Jeff Mann tells the story. I know I've shared it before. I love this story. He was so excited to meet David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge. Great man of God. Oh, I, I want to I ask Dave Wilkerson a question. I want to say, Dave Wilkerson, how can I be a man of God? And so he gets his chance. He's there. Dave Wilkerson is there and he's in front of him and he's like, hey, my name's Jeff. And he's like, I'm David. I'm like, wow, cool, David. And he's like, I just have a question. How do I become a man of God? And David Wilkerson looks at him and says, you want to be a man of God? Read the Bible every single day and never miss a day. Pray every single day and never miss a day. There are no shortcuts. I love it. And it's not like, oh, if you don't read the Bible every day, you're going to... No, but it's like, what he's saying is, it's the consistent daily choices you make. You want to be a man of God? It's not about going to a conference. It's not about having a worship night. It's not about even going to church every Sunday. You want to be a man or a woman of God? Get in the Word every single day consistently. Study it. Learn it. Grow in it. You want to be a man of God? Learn how to pray. Pray every single day. Pray with other people. Pray without ceasing. That's, there's just not shortcuts. And then what happens is, our, in our lives, we, the pressure comes, and we blow up, and we're like, well, I only blew up because, you know, I'm just, I'm a little tired this week. And that could be true. Maybe you're a little tired this week. But take a look at your consistency. Are you a man or a woman of the Word? Are you a man or woman of prayer? Are you a man or woman who is, is constantly going the extra mile to love your enemies, to be kind to those who don't deserve it? Because if you're not daily putting into practice the words of Jesus, you're not going to put them into practice in the big moments either. This is why people have road rage today. I mean, it's such a little thing. I know. It's, it feels like such a big thing. It's such a little thing when someone doesn't obey the traffic laws and they just impede us ever so slightly. And think about the reaction that it gets from us. Well, I only react like that because people are morons and they don't know how to drive. No. That's not the case. And I love that I have a 15-year-old daughter that now sits in the car and reminds me every time I fall short in this area (laughs) that I preach these things. You know, it's just revealing what's in your heart. Shut up. I know. I don't like it. The, The thing is, not only does it mold and shape our character, I believe God has purposes for our lives that go beyond this moment right here. And if we don't learn to be faithful with little, how can we be faithful with more? Luke 16.10, whoever cannot be trusted with little cannot be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. Some people are like, I don't understand why, why God hasn't you know, blessed me like that person or why God doesn't promote me like that person. And well, maybe it's because of how you're handling where you are right now. Maybe. Maybe if you'd be faithful right here and right now rather than complain about it, you'd get promoted. But God knows if you can't handle this, he's not, He is not going to put the type of pressure that comes with that on you because you're not ready for it. It'll crush you. It'll actually lead you further away from Him. You'll start making more ungodly choices. You want God to trust you with more? Be faithful with what He's given you. That's what David Wilkerson was telling him. See, the difficulties we face in life will either shape us or they will sour us. Every single time. 
I know it feels like at times that we're the only one that has suffered in this way or in this, this. No one has suffered like I have suffered. Like that's human nature. Can I promise you? The Bible tells us that everyone has faced these common temptations, these common trials. James tells us, consider it joy when you face these trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Can I tell you, it does not say that trials produce perseverance. It didn't. The testing of your faith will produce perseverance if you let perseverance finish its work. You can go through trials and not be mature and complete. You can actually really be crabby and mean. That's the difference. And I, I know that sounds so, it sounds almost like calling someone a dog. Like, oh man, kick me while I'm down. I'm not trying to kick you while you're down, and neither is Jesus. He's just trying to get you to a place because he wants to lift that out of our hearts. Can I tell you, look around the room today. Look at all these nice looking people that are here on Sunday morning, all dressed up and pretty and woo, man, some of you did more work than others, but praise God. I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing, every one of their hearts, my heart, all of us, there's stuff lurking in there that even we're not aware of. And it's ugly. And when it comes to the surface, God wants to lift it out. You're, well, does my salvation depend on it? Well, maybe eventually. Not like in every moment. I don't believe God's in heaven. Wait, oh, you screwed up today. You're not making it. You're out. No, I think our, our salvation is secure in Jesus. But it does impact your flourishing. And it does eventually get you to a place where you're so sour that you might turn away from him. So yeah, it can impact your salvation. Romans chapter 5. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants to do. Everything we do matters to us. But here's the thing. It doesn't just matter to us. It matters to our families. It matters to our coworkers. It matters to, in our, to our schools. It matters in our community. It matters. We don't do things in isolation. Our actions influence others. Like some of it, the way we've talked about in this little story, the ripple effect can have an impact on other people's lives. You never know how much a kind word spoken to someone, especially someone that doesn't deserve it from you, can make an impact in someone's life. You, you never can know that. It can be so profound and it can be so powerful. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That means when you get treated with evil and you are tempted to return evil, what you need to do is recognize there are spiritual forces that are at work right here that are influencing this person. And I am not worried about trying to change that person. Can't do that. Can't Because what we'll do is we'll try to manipulate. We'll try to control. We'll try to use actually what the Bible calls demonic forces. Manipulation and control, by the way, are called witchcraft in the Scripture. And many Many born-again believers try to use them. We try to manipulate situations. We try to control other people. Don't do it. What you need to do is recognize there are spiritual forces. Because if it's true, I mean, if I asked you today, how many of you believe this book? Oh, praise God, I believe this book. This book says that there are spiritual forces at work today in our world, and we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, meaning we don't wrestle with people. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy are the spiritual forces that are at work. Do we believe that? There are strongholds that get established in churches, in communities, those mindsets that get developed over patterns and years of thinking a certain way, they are empowered by spiritual forces. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. They cannot hear the gospel. Preach the gospel till you're blue in the face. 
But some people's hearts have been blinded by the God of this age. And the only way to open their hearts is to wash the feet of them. Because that disarms the spiritual forces that are at work. You say, I did good to people and it didn't work. Mm. You, you don't just do good to people to get it to work. You do good to people because it consistently, over time, breaks the power of the strongholds that exist in families, churches, communities, the nation, the world. We are going after principalities, powers, prayer, yep, fasting, yep, declaration, yep, serving, kindness. I mean, Pentecostals really love those prayer and fasting ones. They're not always good at the kindness ones. I mean, I've heard some things preached from Pentecostal pulpits that make me shudder because it doesn't reflect the heart of God. Any, any type of slanderous accusation, any type of mocking, the, the Archangel Michael wouldn't even slander the devil. Be careful. Because what happens when we, we enter... Oh, but Pastor Tom, we're in a war. We're in a war. We've got to win this election, Pastor Tom. We're in a war today. We gotta, like, so, so what we do is we, we buy into this idea that winning an election, which is, by the way, a weapon of this world, which in, if you turn into, oh, let's see here, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we live in the world, but we don't wage the war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but we use weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. What? Yeah, elections, I'm not saying elections aren't important. Absolutely. You have the right to vote, please vote. You should vote every election. Why, why would you not? And if you don't vote, don't complain about anything, ever. Because you don't have a reason to. Okay? You shouldn't complain anyway. But. And we have bought into this idea that we've got to win elections. And you have Daniel influencing three kings over two different kingdoms and never one time had an election. Don't put all of your eggs in that basket because what you're tempted to do then is to mistreat the person that is your political enemy and we're actually trying to win them. They've been blinded by the God of this age. If they have bought into something that is untrue, ungodly, they're blinded by the God of this age and the only way they're going to see is not because you point it out to them. It's because you serve them. That's very interesting, isn't it? And it doesn't just happen in the political arena. It happens with our kids' school teachers and our kids' coaches and our bosses and our spouses. This is what we do. And we buy into this idea that I have to use like inferior weapons to try to manipulate, control, and change people. And it gets worse. And we're like, oh, Pastor Tom, I'm really in a battle. I'm trying to change my spouse. Well, <laughs> you're in the wrong battle. Change you. And that'll change your spouse. Ouch. And I know people are like, oh, wait, well, hey, Pastor Tom, what about very abusive people? Yeah, because we always use the extreme to justify our own behavior. No, it's not okay to be in an abusive situation. I would absolutely agree. Yes, that person should be brought to justice every single time. I absolutely agree. But please stop using the extreme to try to justify what you want to do in your own life. Because that's not going to lead you to flourishing. It's not going to lead your kids to flourishing. It's not going to lead our nation to flourishing. And I wish people would stop complaining about the way this generation is behaving because we've modeled for them this is how to behave. But it's not too late. If we would believe this book, that we can demolish strongholds and powers and principalities through prayer and through fasting, through declaration and by serving by being kind, by, by returning good for evil. If we believed that and we didn't, let it be, we didn't let ourselves become weary in doing good, but we kept doing it, man, the ripple effect would be astronomical. We pray, oh God, send revival to this nation. He wants to. Start living revived. Start living revived this week. When people mistreat you at work, they curse you, bless them. I mean, we started by talking about Jesus said, observe all I've commanded. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
If you complain more than you pray, how is it going to get better? Man, these are hard words, Pastor Dom. I know. But there's so much at stake. I, I actually believe, I am so naive, or maybe childlike, that we could change a city. Can I tell you, there are strongholds in the city of Huron that are just, there are mindsets that need to be altered. And they're not going to change because we, we reason with people or we argue with people or we try to convince them that they're, they're stuck in this pattern. You know how they change? Generosity, love, kindness. Oh, you, we should never tell people that they're sinning. No, there's, there's time for that too. But they're not going to hear it if we haven't done the battle in heavenly places so that they can hear it. Do you believe this book? That's the question. The journey that we're on, that's it right there. If you want to look up 2 Timothy chapter 22, or chapter 2 verse 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, those are what I reference. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The people that we try to wrestle with or quarrel with, Paul says don't do that. They've been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. You've got to do something to get them free. And most of us just aren't willing to be inconvenienced or to, to be generous or to be kind to the unkind so that they can be freed and they can receive the gospel. Rather, we'll develop a theology that just says, oh, well, it's just going to get worse and worse till Jesus comes. It's just going to get worse and worse. This is what we should expect. Should we? Or should we expect that if the body of Christ really latches onto what Jesus said, we could change the world? You're going to change the world. You are every, almost every single day at that nursing home. Every single day. Never forget it. Because on days you go home and you're like, Doug, I don't think anyone listens or anyone cares, right? Easy to do. But it makes a difference. Don't quit. Never quit. Because it makes a difference. Doesn't always look like it. Doesn't always feel like it. If you're a school teacher, <laughs> I know. Man, it's hard. And you are severely underpaid, even with whatever raise they've started giving you. Don't quit. Don't get weary in doing what is good. And I promise you, wherever you work, it's hard. Whoever you live with, it's hard. At least be glad you don't have to live with me. During Pastor Appreciation Month, you should pray extra hard for my wife. Imagine what it's like living with me. I wear crazy socks. I fly off the handle at weird things. But we're on a journey. Keep your eyes focused on the destination, where we're going. So here, sum it up. As a disciple of Jesus, treat people royally. Treat people royally. This matters more than we know. I mean, we know we should do this. It matters more than we know. Just treat people better than they deserve every single time. <laughs> Why? Because it's going to demolish strongholds. We can actually create a culture of honor in our city that sees the value in people that no one else sees. And that honors it. Man, it'll change this city. Keep moving forward. Here's the thing. You may mess up before we even get done with lunch today. Just keep moving forward. Don't get weary in it. Don't, and don't put the weight on other people. Don't be like, oh, you screwed up, or oh, we're not supposed to do that. Don't point out their flaws. Bless them. I don't care if you have to crawl. I don't care if you have to roll. Just don't stop moving forward. And the last one, make moments matter. Believe God's word. Do it every single day. Learn the art of humility and repentance so that evil cannot be established in our own hearts, so that evil cannot be established in our families, in our church, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, and in our nation. Man, if you're with me and you think that we could absolutely change the world if we would do that, I want you to stand with me. You say, oh man, Pastor Tom, that's, that's a good word, it's a hard word, but I believe it. I want you to put your hands out in front of you and we're going to pray. And so, Father, man, this is, 
This is a message, God, that I know is in your heart. And my prayer is that I delivered it in a way, God, that it can be heard. At times, this message feels just like that Gentile woman that we're being called dogs. But God, ultimately, we know that's not what's true. We know that in Christ, there's no condemnation. That in Christ, we've been made in the image of your Son. And that today, when you look on us, that's what you see. But we're also fully aware that there are things lurking in our hearts that need to be removed. There's all kinds of stuff that we've become blind to, that we've tried to ignore, that we've put the blame on others for. God, there are things that have developed in our hearts that aren't even a result of our own choices. God, through the the past experiences we've had, through abuse, through neglect, God, things have, have developed in our hearts. But God, help us to acknowledge them in a way that you are able to lift them out. Forgive us for any way that we've allowed evil to take root in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own homes, works, schools, in this community. God, give us a greater awareness of your presence so that we become a people that overcome evil with good. So we set this community on fire for you. Help us, because we can't, we cannot do it without you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tom. Well, hey, as you go, we want to remind you a couple things. Treat people royally. Keep moving forward. And what was the last one? There you go. You guys are listening. All right. Full disclosure, in that moment, I forgot the last one, so I just needed somebody else to help me. But you guys reminded me, so thank you. A couple things that we just want to uh, pass along your way as you are heading out this morning. Don't forget we have uh, Trunk or Treat coming up. Uh, there's also lunch this afternoon across the street, so you can join in for that. Pastor Appreciation Month, next week, come prepared. You can either give in the offering baskets next week or you can give uh, just in the gift uh, section online. And then last thing that we want to really hammer home is that we have this vote tonight uh, at the downtown location. If you don't know where we meet, you can come talk to myself or Pastor Tom or one of the hosts and we can get you the address. I would even say this, if you are not an official uh, partner of Restoration Church, somebody that is able to vote in Church Matters, we still would love to have you come and join us because we believe that you're a part of what we're doing here at Restoration Church. So tonight, 7 o'clock at the downtown offices, 730? 7.30 at the downtown offices. If you want to show up at 7, you'll be early, but that's all right. But we would love to have you there. So thanks, everybody. God bless you, and we will see you tonight and or next Sunday. Have a good afternoon.